ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. All right. <laughs> We're recording. We're back, Peak Speak, with a very special guest, Scott Watson. Say hello. G'day, g'day. <laughs> Welcome. How you doing? I'm always well. How are you, Thomas? Very good, thanks. Excellent. Very, very, very good. So, uh, on when we have guests, we, it's all about them. We're trying to, you know, hear your story as as, uh, as much as we can. I, I imagine we've got like lots of young people that don't fully know Scott's story either. So it'd be it'd be good to kind of start from the start. So um, before we start asking questions, I guess about like where you started and where you came from and everything, um, can you give uh, the people a, a little bit of an idea of, of who you are and what you do? All right, so who I am I at the moment? I'm a dad and a husband to a beautiful wife, Tish, and daughter, Alexis. Live in Brisbane. I've been around powerlifting for just over a decade and uh, manufactured gym equipment at the moment and started and continued to run the Valhalla Strength brand. Cool, cool. So Scott Watson is Valhalla. If you know Valhalla, you know Scott intently. Yep. So give us an idea of how it all started for you, man. Like how did you, how did you find uh, powerlifting in the first place? MissingSylvia.com, um, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that was, well, that was the second step, I guess. The first step it would have been that Christmas 07. Somewhere around there, I was jumping on a trampoline at, uh, at my mother-in-law's house. I had no shirt on and uh, some baggy board shorts. I remember uh, that photo. <laughs> <laughs> as I was, um, you know, bouncing away, I get off the trampoline and my wife, no, my now wife, she looks at me and goes, Scott, fuck your skinny. And I was, you know, six one and sixty seven kilos. So, uh, look, let's be honest. I could have blown away in a big breeze. So she wasn't. Uh, she wasn't lying. So started looking at lifting weights, and uh, was on a car forum at the time, and they had a health and fitness section in there, and I sort of jumped in there, met a few people, and that sort of got me got me started, I guess. So, uh, from from the powerlifting world, who did you meet in in the Sylvia forums? Uh, there was quite a few people in there already. Most people wouldn't know them at the moment. Uh, Nick Rankin was one of the predominant members in there. He was a lifter back in sort of 2010 sort of sort of time. He was a big, strong dude, you know, for that for that era anyway. Uh, I met Marcos in there. I met uh, Michael Mitchell, who's not really around anymore, but he was a local Brisbane guy. And um, he sort of showed me the ropes when we, when we first got started. And when you first started lifting weights, did you did you start going to a gym or did you start at home? 
So I started uh, at Michael's house first. Uh, Ghosty is his handle, if anyone remembers back in the day. Uh, yeah, so I started I, at his place. I didn't know Michael. I knew Ghosty, though. <laughs> yeah, Ghosty. Yeah. yeah, so Ghosty, I, I went around his place. He sort of showed me how to swap bench dirt and row over at Frass, all the, all the main stuff. And uh, I remember walking into his little garage and on his wall he had his goals written up there. And one of his goals was to deadlift 180 kilos. And I was blown away that someone was trying to kind of, you know, lift that much weight. I just couldn't fathom it. And, you know, after a couple of weeks, we did my first sort of testing session. I think I benched maybe 55, squatted 75, and pulled 120. That was my sort of starting point. And um, then I just got a power rack for home and some bars and weights and sort of built a home gym. And so for the people's reference... What, what are your best lifts to date now? Like that was your start. Uh, to date point. now, uh, in comp, is a 295 squat in wraps, uh, 167.5 bench, and a 330 deadlift. From small beginnings? Yes. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, man. And I've still got my log up on uh, OzBB. I hope that forum's still around. Uh, I've got a training log on there. And you can see those early sessions where I'm benching. 48 kilos for sets of eight. There's videos of it. There's videos of my home gym, which is the beginnings of what is now the Hall of Strength. And uh, you can follow the progress. I put a um, sort of like a table of contents on the first post, which shows, you know, my first nationals, winning the first Worlds, first time I deadlifted 200. Like it's all bookmarked. There's a couple of hundred pages in there that people can flip through. So cool. So cool to be able to look back at that stuff and, and see it. Like yeah, for sure. I have an odd log on bodybuilding.com uh, that has heaps of that sort of stuff. And John, were you on OzBB as well? Yeah, that's how I met uh, like Scott and Marcus and those guys. It's how I found Power Sports, which is the original gym that I trained out here as well. Because yeah. uh, Joel, the guy that was opening it, was on there as well. So yeah, I, I was around then. Most of my logs on there are just bullshit high equip squats. So nothing, <laughs> interesting. nothing worth going back to look at these days. Well, back then, you know, we're talking 2010, 2011. Facebook isn't what it is now. No, like, not at all. Forums were how everyone communicated. Yeah. And it was a fucking effort. Like you had to, to, to log your training with videos. Like you'd have to have like a handy cam. Then you'd have to get that onto your computer somehow. If you're lucky enough to have a digital one, you did it. If you had like a tape one, you had to have like a, a video card with the capacity to record it. And then you had to put it on YouTube with shit internet that took like four hours to upload a video. <laughs> like it, was, it was a mission to log your training with videos. Yeah, yeah. And no direct photos that could upload to Image Shack and then put links in. Yeah, we put in probably just as much as training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that was, you know, late, late, uh, late of the first decade of the 2000s. When did you yeah. start to move towards... Or was, I was going to say when you start the gym, but when did you start um, competing in powerlifting at, at like a higher level? Like I know you did a few capo nats and stuff like that. Yeah. So my first comp, I think was either 2009 or 2010, which was the um, capo state title at Mason Jardine's house, uh, out just west of Ipswich, sort of between Ipswich and uh, Toowoomba. It's just at his house under his carport, about eight or nine lifters. Um, so that's where I did my first comp, and from there, uh, I was a junior lifter then. I think I squatted 145, benched 102, and deadlifted maybe, I want to say 190, somewhere around there. And then um, I did nationals after that and pushed full. That was all in the same year and uh, sort of competed ever since. I think I've done maybe 23, 24 comps now, well, since I've being forced to stop competing for a little while. Mm. So when did you guys meet? When did you meet Cher? It would have been, I, I, reckon, I, I reckon it would have been 2011 Capo Nats. I think we were both. In Albury? Yeah, we were both there. Yeah. Uh, That's at least the first time we met in person. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then after that, it was like, you know, first GPC Nats and stuff like that. Oh, that's my favorite. I remember, uh, if, if I remember correctly, the... Um, that Capo Nats we did was at Albury, which was a pretty sweet venue. I, I didn't mind that at all. Uh, um, not not but, having too much. No, 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 no. So my first, my first uh, memories of Shero, you know, competing in quick is he was warming up in the warm-up room, like very dangerously standing up and people pulling, pulling the squat stands out of the way so he could squat 
and then maybe even doing your last one or two warm ups on the platform. No, I didn't. I didn't even get that. So that yeah, it was. There was some favoritism going on there. I remember asking (laughs) the meet director, like, "Am I going to be able to warm up on the mono?" And he was like, "No." And so I did that. I skipped my last like two or three warm ups because I, I did that real shaky, shitty sideways walkout yeah. and nearly died. And then the next day, I watched like half a dozen equipped guys warm up on the mono in between lifters. In between lifters, so you know the yeah. flight was on. Someone would come doing the tent, then they'd load up, you know, three hundred fifty. Let the quick guy warm up. The next lifters attempt. Yeah, it was uh, powerlifting wasn't what it is today. No. <laughs> I think then there was only maybe three or four monos in the country. Yeah, yeah for sure. Not, it's not like it is now. No, not at all. So then um, shortly shortly after you started competing, then you opened uh, PTC Brisbane. When, when did you open that? That would have been March 2011, I think. Um, so I had my home gym for maybe two or three years, and I had people training there, um, not really coaching as such for that's where I started coaching, I guess, but we had maybe a roster of 10 lifters uh, training under our house and um, we kind of had an open air. It was a raised Queenslander, so it wasn't built in, but it wasn't open either, but it was still really noisy. So all of our neighbours, you know, everyone side by side in Brisbane, all of our neighbours could hear the plates banging around and they kind of got the shift and decided uh, that we would sort of make a gym out of this. So we moved into our location, our first gym. Open it up. And what, what were you doing for work at the time? Uh, I was a cabinet maker then. Actually, no, I finished cabinet making. I was working for the Sunshine Coast Council um, doing weed and pest management. So I used to drive around a big Hilux with a water tank on the back with specific weed killers in it and just drive around the Sunshine Coast killing weed. Yeah. <laughs> it was really conducive to training hard because... It would, you know, we train hard. I'd go to work and I'd just listen to music driving around for seven hours, have lunch in all these amazing places on the Sunshine Coast and uh, just relax and eat, really. <laughs> Was that the beginning of your lawn obsession? No, not at all. <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was definitely a, a good job when it came to people. Not doing a physical labour-intensive job for sure helped out. And then when, when you opened the gym, did, did you continue to do uh, daytime work to sort of, I guess, bankroll yeah. the gym for I a think, I, Yeah, I think pretty much all of us did when we were first opening up. You know, powerlifting wasn't even really a sport when I opened the gym. There was, you know, no the Iron Underground was the only dedicated, really. Everyone I use GQ, but, you know, I it's think... Not, it's not a gym. It's not a gym. Iron Underground was the, the only powerlifting gym in Brisbane at the time. So there wasn't like there was a huge stack of members that we could tap into like there is these days. Mm. So um, we had to, you know, I had to work. I lived in Mullaney in the Sunshine Coast inland at the time that we actually opened our doors. We opened in, uh, it wasn't even Brisbane, it was Kalanga, which is about half an hour north. And, um, you know, I'd work seven till three up on the Sunshine Coast, go home, have a shower, grab something to eat, drive an hour to the gym open up, be there for sort of, we used to open, I think five till nine was our opening hours at the start. Um, then drive home later that night, go to sleep, do it all again. Mm. So if, if we reverse, like when you, when you sold Valhalla Brisbane, we're talking about like 500 ish square meters of powerlifting paradise, like four monos and five or six benches, six platforms, whatever it is, you know, and all these machines. How, how did you start? Like what, Opening day, what did the gym have in it? Well, I already had my home gym, right? So I had a little bit of gear collected already. And um, But on opening day at our gym, I had uh, a Force USA power rack. I had a shitty no-name rack that I got from one of the local stop stores. Had two Force USA benches. And these aren't the ones you can buy now. Equipment has come leaps and bounds since, since opening. These were just shitty little three height adjustable bench sort of thing, no face savers. So we had two benches, two racks, and two platforms. That was it. We had a couple of good bars, a couple of shitty bars, and that was sort of how we started. Yeah, crazy. I remember I remember watching videos of PTC Brisbane and seeing like 
you and um, Steve, Ricky, Laws doing doing oh, these lifts, and being like, how are people this strong? And I, <laughs> I remember coming up to to Bustanut, which I think you're just. Oh no, you didn't have your combo rack. You got your combo rack shortly no, after. No, no. Yeah, yeah. So that was our first comp. We did three months after our open. Yeah. So we're like, we're opening the gym. We're going to announce a comp three months from now. And uh, that was that comp. And I think we had maybe somewhere around 30 lifters compete. And that was the biggest comp in Queensland. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I remember rocking up. I did that comp. And I remember thinking, fuck, this is paradise. Like, this is. <laughs> I've died and gone to powerlifting heaven at this stage. Yeah. And we ran the comp off just. Uh, pair of squat stands that weren't lever adjustable, didn't have any hydraulics. It was literally just a height, and you put a pin to select your height. That was it. Mm. It's powerlifting's definitely come a long way when you can like all of us can sit in gyms like ours and like the ones that you've owned and look at like what we've got. People are like, oh, I can't use that mono because it doesn't have the my yeah, favorite yeah. squat bar on. It's like, oh, motherfuckers. motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And, you know, as a gym owner, um, you know, it annoyed me a little bit because I know how far we've come. And the amount of time and sacrifice and money put into building facilities, and then people complain that this, this bar's off slightly less now on the other one, and we should fork out another two grand for, you know, <laughs> for a new bar. I was like, man, like, I'm not doubting your... Uh, I'm not trying to dismiss your concerns, but man, like we've got four swap bars at two thousand dollars each and four monos. Like, yeah, come back to 2011 when we had a shitty pair of squat stands and a chrome bar with no knurling. You know, <laughs> over 200 for reps. You know, you've got 120. Like, it's, yeah. we've come a long way as it is. Oh, man, kids these days. <laughs> yeah, that was the grumpy old man rant that was definitely coming <laughs> at some point from all of this. <laughs> So you, you opened in 130 square meters. Uh, what what was the progression of the gym from there? Because you had uh, one, two, uh, three locations after that. Yeah, yeah. So the first one, like I said, was 130 squares. Um, then we, that was in Kalanga. So it was kind of 20 minutes to half an hour out of the city. And with our opening hours being five o'clock, we opened. That's peak hours traffic heading out of the city. It could have taken an hour plus to get to the gym if we lived in the CBD. So we decided we, after our first year, we had 18 members. And we're like, all right, that's obviously not enough to sustain a business, uh, yet alone, you know, I think it was just covering our bills because, you know, it, it cost nothing to run there, which is why we opened there. Uh, but it was like, if we're going to make a business out of this, we need to make that jump and move into the city, have a bit bigger space and try and get some more members. And at the time, like I said, Iron Underground was the only people sort of in that area. And I don't think they offered a membership either. It was kind of like a powerlifting, uh, what would you call it, just like coaching. Yeah. yeah. I think there was like a core, maybe 10 people that could come and train, but the rest was just one-on-one. Mm. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I believe that was the system. So like, all right, maybe we'll move in. There's not really anyone offering what we can. So we went in there and we went from 130 to 220 square meters. Uh, got... That's when we got our first mono. We eventually ended up on the second mono and a few more benches and equipment. This kind of grew from there. We were there for two years, I think, maybe three. Um, and it served us really well. And we only moved it out of necessity. We got to a point where we ended up with about 90 or 100 members. And it was just, it, it was dangerous. Like there was just too many people in there. You know, to get to the squat rack up the back, you had to climb over deadlift bars while people were training them. <laughs> Like, it was just chaos. And, like, it was either move or someone gets hurt. Yeah, but how good is the atmosphere in a place like that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, man, that's... Like, honestly, if I'm in the... If, like, obviously, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now without yeah. going through everything we have. But if but somehow I was in the... Especially the financial position I'm in now, I didn't need to make money to buy a house or whatever. I would have left the gym there, captured at 70 members, and just fucking trained by demons. Like, yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah. I was reminiscing with someone the other day about Burley when we were in like 200, 210 square meters. Like, yeah, yeah. A, you can never replicate the atmosphere of a place like that because you, 
yeah, you put 30 people in there and it feels like there's a hundred and the music yeah. is loud mm. and everyone has to stop what they're doing while you lift because if they don't, you'll get hurt or someone else yeah, will get yeah. hurt. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, for sure. Different kettle of fish. So at, at the time when you took that leap from Kalanga to the Northgate area, was it a, was it a risk? Like, was it scary for you to, to take? Like, what was the difference in rent? Um, not really scary because um, what will happen will happen. That's kind of what my attitude was. It's either there's a thing that you don't bother for, you can chew. And I remember someone telling me that's bullshit. You chew, you, know, you, you take the biggest bite you possibly can fit in your mouth and you just chew, chew, chew. Like you just grind and make it happen. You told me that and I say it to people all the time. I've said it on this podcast yeah, like a thousand times. Yeah, man. I, and that's the motto that I live by. Like everything I do, I'm all in and I'll just push, 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 push. We'll either work or it won't. Um, but yeah, man, when we first moved in, so rent where we were originally was $220 a week. Um, and then we moved into a place, it was a, uh, no, it wasn't a thousand, it was about 600 a week. Yeah. But then not just the rent, then you have, more insurance and you have more electricity. Like we went from two high bay lights to like 10 high bay lights. Like it's, everything got more expensive after that. So mm. yeah, we went from uh, our, like all, all included were about thousand bucks a month in our first location to about 4,000 a month in the second. Um, I remember quite a few times, maybe three or four, we didn't have enough money to pay electricity. And so they cut it off. And so we'd be training at night, be like, oh, fuck, guys, the electricity company's fucked off and, or, or fucked up and, you know, there's been an error somewhere or there's been an accident, we've got no power. And we'd train by car lights. Yeah. Like, we'd drive the cars into the gym and turn the lights on. And that's how we trained a couple of nights because we just, we couldn't afford to pay rent. <laughs> and, you know, that was the first few months we were in the gym, obviously, because we had 18 members, but our expenses had quadrupled. You know, it wasn't long after that we... Obviously, when you back up against the wall, you just go, go, go. And, you know, within two or three months, we're breaking even and everything's fine. But, yeah, a lot of members don't know how close, you know, we were to shut down a few times just due to the extent. So besides the, the change in, like, the actual area, what what were you doing to get more people in? Do you think they came through the comps, through, like, just more more people being aware of the fact that you guys existed? Or Yeah, so there's a few things. A few people knew who we were, but it was too far it wasn't practical like as it is driving from the city to you know the location even the current location someone drives past 20 odd gyms to get to us now back then you'd drive past even more even though they're commercial gyms and have to sit in a in traffic for an hour you know so there was a lot of reasons why people wouldn't travel which is fair enough uh obviously the sport we put a lot of time and effort into growing the sport because um, there was no market when we opened. And mm. so if you create a space where you have powerlifters in there, you need to make sure there's powerlifters. So we'd run free workshops, comps for like maybe 30 bucks. You know, anyone could enter. Like it was, we put a lot of time and effort into growing the sport itself because if there's a big sport, they're going to need somewhere to train. That was our logic and it definitely worked. Yeah. Yeah, it goes, it goes to show like the effort that you put into comps and like continually making each comp better over the years is, is how you guys got known for running the best comps around. It's because like every time you ran a comp, yeah, especially you know after I opened the gym and started getting more involved in the scene as well, you'd always ask people like me who were bringing people to your comps, like, what can we do better? What can we do better? And yeah. you actually listened every time. Yeah. Like in each what comp just got that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sent out anonymous surveys as well. And being like, hey guys, like, because people will happily whinge and bitch about things between themselves, but never come and give constructive feedback to actually yeah. improve the comps. Uh, which I get, people don't like confrontation, and it's not even confrontational, but people still aren't, aren't um, very forthcoming with suggestions. So we send out anonymous surveys, ask how we could do things better, and we got a lot of valuable feedback. Things like making sure the bins get emptied more regularly. Like that's that was the furthest thing from my mind when I'm running a meet is making sure the bins were empty. Like I'm too busy worrying making sure someone doesn't die. That's <laughs> fun doing a good job. Like that sort of thing. So I didn't even think about bins. And I would never have thought about them unless someone brought it up to me. So mm. that was just one of the examples, but people give you feedback when they're anonymous, which is good. 
I think I gave you that feedback about bins at like a States I was at one year. I'd like come up to coach one person. I was like, man, the only thing that I didn't like was I had to walk across the room to find a bin. And you're like, oh, yeah. fuck, I didn't even realize that was a thing. Yeah. I just yeah. went and bought four more bins. Like, and, yeah, that, there's a lot of people in, in powerlifting who are happy to bitch about how shit comps are or all of those sort of things, but never actually provide any of that feedback. So I think you've it's done really hard because Sorry. No, I was just going to say you've done well to like have a community of people who are willing to give that feedback. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, like everyone thinks they run great comps. Like uh, the first comp I ran, I think, was great. And obviously, it could have been improved. And without people's feedback, you don't grow. And if you don't grow, you sort of get stagnant. Yeah, I think one big thing as well uh, that resonated with me and probably with John and anyone who came up and did, you know, GPC Nats in the golden years, especially those three years where they're on the on the Gold Coast in a row, is like just the uh, you're always led by example, like you're always the hardest worker in the room when it came to to running competitions. And it makes you as a meet director, like us as meet directors, walk away and be like, fuck, we got to be on top of all this stuff. You can't just sit back and hope that everyone runs the comp for you. You got to be in the front leading and you are always doing that. Man, the amount of times I, I watched Scott like nearly dead, unable to stand up, but like walk over and push you out of the way and be like, I have to load deadlifts or I'm going to fall asleep because I've slept like four hours in three days and I just need to do something. Yeah, I appreciate the fine words. Like we, we always put in as much effort as we could because I think especially for our nationals, you have to, like people are traveling I, and I, and on a selfish note, I like the praise. Like, as egotistical as that might sound, I love it when people come and say, hey, man, that was epic. Thanks for the great job. Like, it really makes it all worthwhile. Like, yeah. I, I live for that. Like, it's awesome. Mm. So, anyone listening, if you go to 10 comps and you enjoy them, let your meet director know. Send them an email afterwards. And likewise, if there's things that can be improved, send them an email. Like, we always love feedback, whether it's, uh, you know, to help us or to congratulate us. Yeah, I totally agree. So what um, what then uh, motivated you to get involved with GPC at the start? So for those who don't know Scott as well, you're, you're, vice, you're current vice president or you have been vice president since basically the start. Um, obviously, we're not doing any like Fed bashing or anything in, in this in this no, discussion. Sure. We're just talking about the history of it, right? Uh, yeah, what, what kind of led you to becoming vice president of GPC? Because you've obviously been really integral in, in the development, the growth of GPC to, to make it what it has become. Yeah, so 20... When did we do maths, Sharon? Is that 20, 2011? 2012, I think. I no, think 20, the first... 2012 was GPC no, maths. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 20, so, no, so it was, yeah, Capo was 2011. GPC yeah. First Nationals was up north on the in 2012 yeah yeah um so uh 2011 capo nationals there was an issue um i think more on an administrative side but the clarification like there was no very good communication and um then we put our hand up to run a lot of like local comps because i had my gym and i wanted to grow the sport and directly benefited my gym and there was just a lot of resistance in us running um, comps and so a few things like that Marcos and I sort of said well we've got all these ideas and we think it could be better so like if we can't help what's already here we'll just make our own and that's sort of how GPC was born and then um, yeah we ran the first GPC Nationals in um, 2012 uh, yeah we did GPC so GPC must have started at the start of 2012 or the end of 2011, yeah. mm. somewhere around there. We all ran our states in 2012 and had the first nationals in Caloundra in 2012. I remember GPC states very well because I bombed. And then uh, <laughs> I was leaving the gym basically crying, thinking I couldn't do Nats. And um, Frank, Frank was like, no, it's okay. They're, they're going to let you do Nats. So I was, I was really stoked. Yeah. That. So that's been a huge, um, I believe, part of the biggest successes for GPC has been knowing when and when not to limit your competitors. Mm-hmm. So, so um, like at the start, we just allowed everyone to compete as long as you're a member. And then from there, um, 
we would, if you did states, you could do nationals, even if you bombed. I, did, I think anyone could do nationals at that point. No, I think it was we de- we decided it was you had to do a local meet do, in yeah, order to do, do nationals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know that got it got pretty big, and then it was like you had to do states to do nationals, and then that got too big at nationals, and then it was all right. Now you've got to you know because we ran a comp, it was like three hundred and thirty odd lifters. Yeah. Like right, we now need to limit that again. So then it was we capped at one hundred and eighty, and it was the top one hundred and eighty lifters get through. So knowing when to allow lots of people to compete and knowing when and how to pull the, the entry list was sort of, I think, one of the reasons we got as big as we got. Hmm. Was that 2015 turning point where it was like six-day nationals that was like one yeah, of the yeah. most epic things I've ever been involved in? At yeah, that point, yeah. we all kind of went like, I don't know if we can do this two years in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, we were discussing this the other day but it wasn't six packed days. Like we could have no. got through 330 lifters in three or four days. Like it was, it would have been possible, but we just didn't know how many people were turning up. So we had to preempt, you know, these big days. And we sort of put, I think we had equipped on Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. And then I think women were Wednesday, Thursday, and then yeah. men Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or something like that. It was, that was and pretty then, much it. Yeah. And then like for me, as a meet director, like, I, like, it makes no difference to me whether a comp is one day or 11 days. Like, it's the same amount of work. The biggest part of work is setting up and pulling down. So once it's done, like, there's no way I would do it for a one-day comp. Like, it is just not worth your time and effort. So three days is the sweet spot, but it makes no difference to me if it's three days or eight days. What I didn't bank on was the health. People having to take time off work to come and help load bars and stuff like that. So that was something that I didn't realize or didn't think of. Uh, and we struggled to get help. And luckily the first few days were quite small. Like I think the first day, the equipped day, there was maybe 10 lifters, 20 lifters or whatever it might have been. So we could handle it with the, the local coaches and state reps and stuff like that. But that was apparent after that that we couldn't expect people to take annually from their jobs to come and load plates. And especially because a lot of those people were like taking annual leave to come and load plates on Thursday before competing on Saturday. Yeah, exactly, man. So that was just an issue I didn't foresee. Obviously, it's clear as day now when you look at it. But (laughs) I was like, yeah, man, I can easily run six days. Like, I'm not going to, like, it'll be hard work, but we'll get get it done. So I was just thinking from my perspective, not from all my helpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I don't actually know the story behind this, but how did you guys choose GPC to, to affiliate with? From what we could see, they were the biggest non-IPF country, uh, sorry, federation as far as uh, country-based, you know, uh, affiliates. So you kind of have, have IPF, GPC, and WPC at that time. And it was like, well, we can't obviously have G, uh, WPC, that's affiliated with CAFO, can't have IPF. Uh, we want to use NERAPs and... IPF already had a um, affiliate here, obviously. So we kind of went with the next biggest one, which is GPC. Mm. And it's yeah. grown from there. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, a lot of people know you now in terms of the, the Valhalla name as the equipment you produce. How did that get started? The equipment? Yeah. Um, so... Must have been around 2013. We're in our second location. Uh, we just bought a monolift, uh, and um, we kind of needed to expand our equipment range. Like we did, we wanted more equipment there for our members. The one thing that we didn't have, and I don't even know if we're available at the time, were deadlift jumps. And so one of our members, Matt Dixon, one of our OGs, he's a boilermaker by trade, and so he just whipped one up for us, and I was like, wow. That's sick. Like within an hour, he turned a couple of pieces in metal into one of our most valuable pieces of equipment in the gym. Like it'll save you so much effort with a deadlift jack. So I was like, man, you need to teach me how to do this. And um, so we were thinking our way for a while. And then, um, you know, we started building some things for our gyms, like a wrap roller, a couple of benches. And we kept breaking all of the equipment that we were buying. So that's what sort of made us make the equipment in the first place. 
then a few other people said, hey, can you build off a piece as well? So we build stuff for people and it kind of just snowballed from there. The equipment you could get then doesn't even compare to the sort of stuff that you can buy on a commercial market with the click no, of a few no these days. Yeah, for sure. Then like yeah. the, it was the local stuff store. Yeah. You know, Iron Edge was selling some stuff, but a very limited range and they were really tied to the CrossFit market. And very expensive. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, for powerlifting, there was just nothing out there locally. And uh, the choice was import from America, which at the time you're kind of dollar for dollar. You just have to pay for shipping, which was expensive, but the exchange rate was you know, better, which was good. I think I paid six bucks a kilo for my first lot of Abancos, which are now like you know, 12 bucks, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, 15. Um, but yeah, the equipment was just rubbish that you could buy locally and it's just breaking. So we sort of started building our own and other people wanted us to build for them as well. And here you are making a living with a fucking crazy laser cutter that looks like a <laughs> yeah, lot of fun. Equipment. Yeah, I'm in, uh, I'm actually in my workshop at the moment in the office. Um, we're now our, our gym, the Valhalla, the one that's in Brisbane. I think it's around 500 square metres. Uh, my workshop's now 1,300 square metres with another 2,500 square metres outside. Like yeah, our right. workshop is, is definitely eclipsed what uh, I was doing with the gym for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really cool to see how, you know, commercial gyms adapt to whatever the, the trend is at the time. So, you know, over the years, they've gone from being commercial gyms to being commercial gyms with like functional areas or CrossFit areas. And uh, yeah. as, as powerlifting in Australia has gone, a lot of commercial gyms have Valhalla benches uh, or yeah, deadlift bars. Like it's, it's really cool to see how um, it's kind of, because like even just having a piece of Valhalla in something like a world gym for people to see like, what is that thing? What does it represent? And then maybe finding out what Valhalla is. That's another gateway for people to get into the sport as well. It's really cool. hundred percent, hundred percent. And like, so when you, when you first uh, split off and had uh, a second gym, it was inside a world, right? Yeah, that was how the second gym opened. It was a result of that. So I was approached by World Gym. They had a huge, I think their gym was maybe 4,000 square metres. They just had this massive space. And obviously, to try and fill that space with equipment, and especially quality equipment, would cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, especially when you're using... Um, hammer strength. All those, yeah, hammer strength, you know, $5,000 for a lap pull down, you know. You just couldn't do it. And so they approached us to see if we wanted to have like an animal cage type setup in there. And so, you know, we were making equipment at the time. We are like, sure, we'll give this a shot. It's a pretty low risk uh, venture. So we set up a 200 square meter cage inside of World Gym. And, um, you know, chucked three monos in there, three benches, platforms, stuff like that. And we had Drew Spriggs and uh, Critter. Um, as coaches in there, um, it didn't do super well. I think it was a, it was mainly because uh, of the restrictions that World Gym put on us. So, like we needed, like for our coaches, for example, the lifters would need to pay a casual session to World Gym of like twenty five bucks to get in the door, and then walk up to our area, get into our area, and then pay the coach another fee on top of that. So it made coaching you know, not as affordable as it would be if you went to our, our gym's our, you know, standalone Valhalla. Uh, but we did it for maybe six months, and it did okay, but I don't think it was worth anyone's time, really, our, our time, or World Gym's time. So we decided to part ways, and that's when we opened. We just took all of that equipment out and opened up the gym on the south side, which uh, Drew and I uh, sort of did together. Drew put in the time, I put in the equipment, and then... Uh, Sold my share of that to him, and Drew runs it all by himself. Now him and his wife Crystal. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, where where else has uh, Valhalla, Valhalla ended up? Uh, we've got a Valhalla up in Townsville. Brad and Jess run that. They've got a great spot up there at the moment, uh, and their gym's looking awesome. We've got a good community going up there, and then we had one in New Zealand as well in Auckland uh, with uh, Nick. Uh, but you know, he kind of really struggled with lockdowns and stuff with. Uh, COVID, uh, New Zealand dealt with things a little different to us mm. and um, sort of couldn't really see a light at the end of the tunnel and, and sort of closed up. And I think he sold or he leased his equipment out now, I'm not sure. 
yeah. what the final details are. But uh, yeah, at the moment we've got South Brisbane at Rockley, Virginia, Brisbane, and Townsville. Uh, yeah, yeah. I the I went to the New Zealand one. It was a sick German, really, really cool community. It it sucks yeah. so much. Like a lot of our friends lost businesses through the uh, through the COVID period, and it's just one of the unfortunate outcomes. Yeah. Sweet. Do you have any more questions, John? Not that I can think of. I mean, we could talk for hours about yeah. Scott and his involvement in powerlifting, but at a certain point, people might not want to listen to us just bullshit and reminisce about <laughs> the glory, <laughs> the glory days. Yeah, yeah. All right. So well, yeah, no, we'll, not really. We'll, we've got a bunch of questions we ask. Uh, we ask everyone, so we'll we'll ask you some questions. Yes. Yeah. You go. Uh, so the first one's like favorite lifting memory. And for people like you, we like a, a lifting, your own lifting memory and then like a coaching memory. Uh, my favorite lifting memory, I think, I can't remember the exact comp, I think it was push-pull, maybe 2013. Uh, I think it was maybe my first 300 dead in comp or I pulled for the win. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was. But why my favorite lift is I was just in my soft suit. I didn't have a shirt on and my nose just exploded with blood and it's like all out of my chest. And the photo that I got from that was awesome. Like it was one of the most manly things I've ever done. And I was just like, every time I was in that photo, I'm like, that's, that was a hard lift. It was a lot of effort. And uh, that picture encompasses, encompasses that. You know, I really enjoyed it. And my favorite uh, coaching, what was the other, other question? Yeah, like a, as, as someone who's been a coach, we've just lost Scott completely. No, there he I, is. He's just getting a phone call or something. Uh, yeah, so it's like your favorite coaching memory or, you know, comp-related memory that is not you necessarily lifting, but yeah, someone yeah. you've coached. So this is probably going to sound bad. So I've had a lot of lifters <laughs> to a lot of great things that I'm really, really friends. Um but my favorite coaching memory is a bad uh, memory. I, I, don't know, I don't know how what I'm trying to say. But one of my listeners, yeah, he just had spotted, uh, he was 18 at the time, I think, 17 or 18. He just caught a 350 kilo to quit. And uh, it was a team world record, uh, unofficial. Uh, it was a strange record. He got up, he done his squat, he racked the bar. And um, as he dragged the bar and went to walk away, he started to pass out. And so I'm, I'm patting him on the back. Yeah, man, Zach, that was an epic move. That was so sick. Well done. And as I'm patting him, it's getting heavier and heavier. And he ends up getting laid out on the floor. And um, I was the meat director also. And uh, so Zach, Alex Zerber runs down and lifts up Zach's feet. And uh, I think he was, I thought he was trying to drag Zach off the platform <laughs> and like get the cop running because, you know, Zach, uh, Zach is, was on the platform. We had a show to run. You know, my team's go, go, go. And I remember just looking at Zerber and go, Alex, we can spare two minutes. Like, leave him on the platform. <laughs> you don't have to skull drag him off the platform. We can just pause the cop and let him come too. I didn't know that Zerba was lifting his feet up because that's what you do to get people's blood running back to their head. Like, I didn't sort of try to drag him off. So <laughs> that was just a, a funny coaching memory that I'll always remember. That squat was epic. He was out for a little while as well, eh? <laughs> he was out for a while. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he went on to, to do that raw the following year. So uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. I've got a third part I want to add to the that question. What's what's your favourite meet you've ever run? The first Gold Coast Nationals. 2014. Far. Yeah, because everyone was so appreciative. That's why. Like, it was a nightmare to run. It depends what sense you're asking the question. But, like, at that, at that Nationals, uh, we've got a huge cast. Like, one of those novelty fucking, like, four foot tall cards from everyone with a like a thank you card and like a hundred people had written in it for us and like I cried like I was so overwhelmed and so that goes down as my favorite uh, content 
That was actually my least favorite comp because I tried to cut from 103 to 90 to go against Stenzel. <laughs> and I, I failed at 90.9 and then spent oh, three, three hours on an IV feeling like absolute death. Anyway. Uh, next question. If you could have uh, dinner with anyone on earth and pick their brain about anything you want, but they have to be alive right now, who would it be? Oh, damn, alive right now. Um... God, alive right now and pick their brain. Johnny Cash is dead now. Uh, Joe Rogan, I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just because, like, I think he's an interesting dude, and I want to get to know. I would like to get to know what he's like in real life. Like, is he the same as he is on his podcast? Is he different? Like. I think he's got a huge level. Well, I don't think I know he's got a massive following. Uh, I want to. I just want to see what he's like in, in real life. Hmm. Yeah, cool. Uh, where do we go next? Oh, what's, uh, what's something? Yeah, obviously, probably more related to the training realm. That, uh, like, say, in the last, let's call it two or three years, because you haven't been as involved in the coaching end for a little while. Uh, that you like used to believe firmly, like this is a line I draw in the sand, and that you've since changed your mind on. Mm. Could just be life things as well, you know. If that's if that's what you want to talk about, that's fine too. Well, coaching a huge run for coaching. Well, actually, no, coaching you should always be evolving. I, I have to say everything when it comes to coaching, right? Like, yeah, no one should have value setting. So, well, not values. That's the wrong word. Um, no one should have principles really. In stone. I guess one lifting would have been after I met with Ed Cohen. Um, you know, he's competed for 27 years. I used to train and coach, you know, fucking you train until you bleed from the eyes and you put in 100% maximum effort all of the time. Uh, I changed my view on that, you know, really significantly, I guess, um, because it's not conducive to longevity. And longevity is what's conducive to a big total. So I think that's a a coaching thing that I definitely drew a a line where I switched. That goes against my favorite Scott quote, which is someone, uh, I think you posted something about a new piece of equipment and you said, guess the color. And someone said pink. And you're like, the only thing that will ever be pink in my gym is when blood gets mixed into the chalk. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have pink equipment. I was like, Although fuck. He a lot of piece of equipment. I was like, this guy know what knows what he's he's about, and I like it. <laughs> um, and the final the final question is, uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give to a, a lifter starting out besides get a coach? Yeah, get a coach is a given. Um, honestly, the the analogy of the tortoise and the hare is never. Um, it gets used a fair bit, but it has never applied more seriously than it does power. Like, you come in too hard, too fast, you're going to be out just as quick. Mm. Take your time, go slow. Uh, inch by inch, you'll make big progress over periods of time. Uh, if you try and do too much too quick, chances are you're going to get hurt and you'll have a three to five year career. And that's just, if you want to be the best, I don't think that's long enough. You want to take it slow and steady and compete for. 10, 15, 20 years. Love it. I think that's good advice. Actually, speaking of Scott Watson quotes, I just turned to my right. I still have, you guys can see it, that bit of paper just there is a Scott Watson quote from 2014 about uh, how to build a good gym. It's been on my wall, the same piece of paper that I printed off in like 2014 when we started PTC Canberra. It's been on my wall of my office ever since. What is it? So it's like it's it's too long to read the whole thing. It's not really. Uh, all you need is a good atmosphere and good people, which in turn grows itself. The more good people you have, the better the atmosphere. The better the atmosphere, the more good people that come. Add a few bits of good equipment. Delete Bieber off your iPod, and you have some the start of something special. Being genuine, having a vision which you follow passionately, and always looking after the people that help you will create an unmeasured amount of goodwill, and that is very important. It might not be exactly what you're asking for, but focus on your community, and everything else will fall into place. Love it. 
That's it, it was like I can't remember. I, yeah, I know. I can't remember whether you said it on. It was either on Facebook in some thread, or it was like on an OzBB thing. And I've had it literally yeah. like this bit of paper is so fucking ratty and ruined because it's been sitting <laughs> on my wall for six years since. Well, I stand by that, man. And uh, I'm just, the, it's the best advice anyone could ever be given when it comes yeah. to owning yeah. a gym like ours. I, I think, yeah. like for uh, for a lot of us who opened gyms in that period uh we all are got a bit of a thank you 100 yeah like of of all the people we could have got advice from and did get advice from uh yours always stands out to me the most like whether or not that was just because we were more local than you know all the other gym owners in our our creed at the time um but yeah like without you and your advice and your help with running comps down the gold coast my my gym zero brand the brand wouldn't be what it's grown into i don't think so thank you it's been an absolute pleasure to not just, I don't know, just hanging out with everyone and, and seeing everyone's businesses succeed together. Like, we've all done great things. And, like, who would have thought this 10 years ago? Yeah, fucking yeah, earth. Fuck a <laughs> bunch of meatheads on a forum. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> suddenly we're talking on a video chat and people are actually going to listen to it. And, yeah, yeah. come a long way, all of us, I think. So who is this sticky guy and why is he so obsessed with carb backloading and eating pancakes and bacon for dinner? Monte Carlo milkshakes and <laughs> all the other Scottish. Yeah, yeah um, the best. If people are trying to find you or, or Valhalla Strength Equipment, where, where can they uh, get in touch and, and buy some benches and monos? Uh, so we've got Instagram, just Valhalla Strength Equipment, and our, our website, Valhalla Strength Shop. Um, so if anyone's after powerlifting specific equipment, that's where it is. We've just got our big new laser cutter in, so we're designing new things and pumping stuff out, so check it out. I'm surprised you haven't started sending laser cut dicks to people in the post because if I had a toy like that to play with, I'd be all about sending people random shit. <laughs> Mate, if I had your address, you would have got something already. <laughs> that could so, be just a, quick, a quick side story. Uh, when I had the laser cutter installed, um, the engineer that was here, he was like, all right, we need a test file. Obviously, I use CAD. I've used CAD for years. Uh, so I had some files. He's like, I need a file so we can test it, make sure it all works properly. I was like, yeah, I've got one, uh, but don't laugh. And he just looks at me and he goes, it's a dick, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is. He goes, mate, I've installed 50 of these things, and we've cut dicks on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> And so that was uh, there's a picture of me and uh, Brandon Greco uh, on my Instagram uh, holding a love heart shaped dick and uh, <laughs> our initials in it. <laughs> Perfect, excellent. All right, all right, that's, that's us it. done.